You are listening to audio from New Life Foursquare. For more information about our church, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org. And uh, good morning, everybody. There's a small crowd this morning, and I know that uh, some of you have, I don't know if, uh, you know, the, sun, the day was just too nice. You know how that is like on some Sundays? Or I don't know if your the favorite football team was on TV at the right time, so, and now we're competing with NFL and stuff. Whatever it might be, you're in God's house, and you in particular are here at the right time, at the right place, and for the right reason. Tell the person next to you, Lord has a word for you today. It may not be, something, it may not be the word I actually prepared that the Lord will speak to you. I've always had it where some people, you know, they listen to a message and they're like, man, pastor, that was such a great message. I'm like, really, really? Yeah, 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 what'd you get out of it? And then they tell me what they got out of it. And I'm like, that's not what I actually prepared. <laughs> but they heard something of the Lord's voice in it, and that's what counts. That's why it's important for you to come to church on Sunday morning. God's ready to speak to you a word right where you are. And so what we prepared this morning, I'm prepared to talk about disappointment because we're in the last part of our series on uh, this question, is it well with your soul? And we've been dealing with all the negative emotions. We tried to pick um, all of them that we could think of. Today is the last one. Uh, it's, uh, it's connected to grief and loss. It's connected, you know, this idea of disappointment that we've, uh, we've lost something. And uh, we have to learn how to deal with this, this negative emotion. Uh, I want to begin by uh, being a little vulnerable with you this morning because I think our nation is hurting because of what happened in, in Las Vegas. How many of you actually knew somebody, like you were maybe two or three steps removed from because of somebody you knew in Las Vegas? Okay, there was someone in our, at our Harbor City campus, I was just telling uh, Sister Bang here, that uh, her son was in Vegas at that concert with some friends. And when the shooting happened, he, j he had to literally dive on top of his friend to cover her. Like he sacrificed his body, he didn't know what was going to happen. And the person next to him, who he didn't know, got shot in the neck. And there was just, just blood everywhere. And he was totally traumatized by it. And, uh, he, and she, her, the mom, asked for, <laughs> for us to pray for him. Um, listen, when anything happens tragic like that in our world, you know, in some ways, it doesn't make sense for us to, like, grieve if we didn't have a personal connection to that tragedy. But you know what that, that these national tragedies do? They give us an opportunity to look deep into our own souls and to... And to look at the losses that we've experienced in life. We, we don't do very well with grieving in our, in our nation. In our Western culture, we, we deny a lot, don't we? And so these tragedies that come, often they give us opportunity to voice the grief that's been sitting in our soul for a long time. You know, the, the grief over things that happened years ago that we didn't realize we were still grieving. And we just thought, it was done with, it's over with, let's just move on with life. And that, that's what your head told you, but your heart told you different. How many of you know that your heart doesn't move as fast as your head? And sometimes it takes your heart time to catch up. So I kind of sense this morning that we're in the presence of the Lord and that 
I want to give you permission to grieve today, especially as I talk about disappointment <laughs> and how we can sometimes handle disappointment in the wrong way. So here's what happened to me this past week. I preached this message at Harbor City last week. And I got to this point in my message, I don't know if I'll get to this point here today, but where I started preaching about how God will not ultimately disappoint us. And I remember saying something like, uh, you know, when we cry out to God, he, in our, when we cry out to God in our disappointing um, seasons of life, he answers us. He rescues us. He delivers us. This is what we're going to see in the passage I'm about to show you. But then as I was saying those words, my eye caught an individual in the back of a room at our Harbor City campus, and I noticed that she just reacted like there was emotion. And it wasn't necessarily the emotion of, oh, thank you for the relief of that message of hope. It was almost like, if that's true, Pastor, then why didn't God come through for the, the loved one that I wanted him to come through for? Why did God let him die? And in the moment, like literally, as I was saying those words, in, you know, in your head, in my head, I just went, oh, snap. What did I just say? Then I tried to offer words of comfort. Well, this week has been a journey of dealing with disappointment that I had in my heart towards God. Anybody ever have disappointment in your heart towards God? Don't raise your hand. It's okay. I saw that this week God began to show me I had been harboring, not disappointment, but disappointment that turns into like um, maybe some, a little bit of bitterness, a little bit of cynicism, a little bit of unbelief towards the Lord. I didn't see it. And I want, to, I want to tell that story a little bit more in detail a little later. But I, I just want you to know today, as we talk about this, um, I have some practical points for you that I'm learning personally, that I'm walking through personally with God. You remember that season in our church life just a few months ago? And it was about a year or so when we, we said, you know, we're going we're gonna to press into the Lord for the miraculous. Like we're going to believe God that he's going he's gonna to answer to the impossible situations in our lives, including people who are sick with chronic illnesses. Uh, during that time, uh, we prayed. If some of you remember, we prayed for our dear friend Arnell. Um, and we brought him up here and we, we, you know, we, we just made a big deal out of it. We fasted, we prayed, we asked God for more life, more life, more life. And then Arnell died. And then I watched as uh, w people would come to me and say, Pastor, you know, couples in the church would come uh, and say, Pastor, we're, we're praying so that we can have a baby. And so we pray and pray and pray. And this is not just, you know, one or once or twice. This is over the course of maybe three or four years that um, I know couples in our church that have been longing for um, a baby. And it still hasn't happened yet. And I didn't realize that something was going on in my soul as a pastor. I didn't realize that, that God not answering our prayers the way we had tried to believe him for was doing something in me that wasn't so good. <laughs> Pursuing the miraculous is painful, man. It's easier to pray for a crowd that's sick that you don't have to go home to or see the next week. Isn't it? It's easy 
to go to a crusade and say, this is a healing crusade and pray for everybody in the crusade because you don't have to hear about how they're really doing a week after or a month later or a year later. And so I began to uh, slowly, and this is what happens, okay? I'm using myself, my negative example, as a lesson for you. This is what I'm learning. That when, we, when disappointing things happen in our lives, especially when we've done all that we can to put our faith and hope in God, especially when we do what we're about to see here in this psalm that we're going to read today, we cry out to the Lord and He doesn't show up immediately or He doesn't show up in the way we want to. We need to be careful that we don't build a case in our heart against God. We need to be careful that we don't allow the disappointment that we all experience to sit in our soul and kind of like, you know, residue, you know, like when you, when you cook like food on the frying pan and you know how after you just, you just let it sit after you're done cooking and eating all that food, there's that, there's that residue, that grime, that grease and it's, all, it's hard to get that out sometimes if you don't deal with it right away. If you let it sit, that grease, right, it gets hardened, it turns, you know, whatever it does and you, what do you have to do? You got to like pour hot water in it, you got to soak it for a while so that you can finally clean that thing out. That's how disappointment can be and if we're not careful, disappointment can, can breed the seeds of unbelief and mistrust and maybe even accusation towards God. Ever gotten close? Ever gotten close? I found myself getting real. I found myself there this week. And it was so, blew me away because when the Lord showed it to me, um, I said, how timely this is, God. So I want to share with you today what we can do with our disappointing situations and how to deal with disappointment when it comes. How many of you know there's disappointment that's like trivial? You know, like some of you get disappointed when you don't get enough likes on your Instagram post. You know? Oh man, I'm disappointed. And because every time you hit that, you know, it like, like button, you know, every time you check your text, like there's a, like physiologically, this happens, like in your brain, there's a release of dopamine. Dopamine is like the pleasure thing. So you feel really good, right? So you're going back to that thing, going, man, how many likes, right? And you get disappointed because you only got 35. And your friend, you know, who posted some stupid thing has got like, you know, 5,000, you know? It's disappointing. There's disappointments that are really trivial, you know? Like the fact that the Lakers can't put it together a really good team this year. It's like, this is so disappointing. And I know, like, I'm not going to get healed from that disappointment until I actually see them play well. Doesn't matter who it is. Lonzo Ball, you know, whoever they, they put on there. It doesn't matter. Like, you got to show me. That's how I'm going to get healed of my disappointment. And finally, you know, you know have this resurgence of my, my Laker fan. Um, but how many of you know there are some disappointing things that happen in life that actually cause you to question your future, cause you, to, cause you to doubt the goodness of God, cause you to question God's faithfulness. You know? What happens and what do we do when those kinds of situations happen in our lives? Sometimes we blame ourselves. Sometimes we blame the devil. That's easy and that's convenient. Sometimes we blame others. Today I want to suggest to you, in our passage today we're going to look at, there's another option, and that is to consider the great love of the Lord. Because ultimately God promises to meet our disappointments with His love if you let Him. I want to show you this in Psalm chapter 107. So this is 107, the Psalm. 
uh, this particular psalm, well, it starts out really upbeat. It says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Oh, he is good. And his love endures forever. And he goes, let the redeemed of the Lord say this. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands, from east, west, south, north. And, and then he goes on. But before he goes on, I want to give you the context of this. This psalm is almost like, um, is written at a time in the life of the nation of Israel when they are getting ready to um, come out of exile. Okay, they've been in exile for a number of years. The years that they were, that the Lord told them they would be in Babylon in exile was about 70 years. The time is coming up for them. That 70-year period is about coming to a close. And now they are faced with this amazing window and season that's about to change where they now get to go home. They get to leave exile. They have this option to leave exile and go back to Jerusalem. And the song is addressed to the redeemed of the Lord as a way to encourage them at this moment. Because after 70 years, you can imagine, you know, all the things that kind of transition in your mind. Have any of you left your homeland to come to build a life in a new country? Imagine if you were forced to leave your homeland and forced to build life in another country. And then the prospect of coming back home, how would that feel for you? Knowing that you wouldn't know exactly what you would experience when you got back home. This is what the Israelites are experiencing. I wonder what Jerusalem is like because when we left, they devastated the city. They destroyed our temple. I wonder what's going to be there. I wonder who is there. I wonder if my house is still going to be there. I wonder if my property is still going to be there, you see? And so there's all this like anxiety and stress and doubt over what are we going to see when we get back. And this psalm is written to encourage them. The psalm is written, give thanks, be thankful that we even get to go back. But then on the other hand, the psalmist wants to deal with perhaps the, the spirit of disappointment that may be in the lives of people in, that are getting ready to go back to Jerusalem. Because some of them have decided, we don't want to go back home. We have gotten used to life in Babylon. We're just going to stay. Or they decided, we're going to move elsewhere and carve out life over there, meaningful life there. We're not even going to attempt to go back to Jerusalem. You know what happens? They get back home to Jerusalem. This is in the book of Ezra. And they, they go to the very thing that they want to rebuild. That is the temple. They want to restore the worship of God. And they go back and they try to rebuild the temple. And remember the story kind of, you know, summed up in this, in this way. They go back. They make a valiant effort at rebuilding the temple so that it looks like a temple they can meet in, but it's nothing compared to the glory of the Temple of Solomon when it was first built. It's nothing compared to the glory of the former house. And so there's this, there's this sort of uh, ethos of disappointment. You and I experience the same thing. Have you ever been in a relationship I'm not talking about like a romantic relationship, but just a friendship. And then for some crazy reason, something happened, misunderstanding, gossip, tore apart that relationship. You know, somebody said something and it got all, you know, and then it just got convoluted and then there was expectations and assumptions that never got cleared up and all of a sudden the relationship is broken. 
It's not like, it's not like terribly just smashed, but it's like distant, but you know. And then, then there's an attempt at reconciliation, right? And you make a valiant attempt to try and heal things so that it feels the same way it used to feel, but for some reason you can never go back to the way it used to feel. Can't, do you feel me? We experience this all the time. Disappointing situations where it can't. And this psalm touches these issues. There are a few disappointing situations and circumstances that this psalm presents to us. The first one is this. He says, let's start with thanksgiving. God is good, man. Those he redeemed, this is you, the redeemed. But watch, I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you proof of God's goodness in the midst of severely disappointing circumstances like this one. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry, they were thirsty, their lives ebbed away. In other words, this disappointing circumstance was people that found themselves lost and burned out. Ever feel like that? Like, like I don't know what direction I'm supposed to go. I'm just putting one foot in front of the other. I'm not even sure which way this is headed. Ever feel burned out? Like, I know there's a, this is a psychological, you know, this is a, uh, it's a, this is a condition, like actual burnout. But ever feel like just depressed and burned out and tired of what you were doing and go, man, I don't get it. What's going on here? The thing that I used to love, I don't love it as much anymore. I'm just tired. You know, burnout happens most of the time because you got stressed out over something you love to do. The pleasurable stress got to you. And all of a sudden, you're like, why do I hate the thing that I love the most? It's a sign of burnout. If you've been lost or burned out, it's a disappointing circumstance. And watch this. The li life's hard reality behind this is that sometimes open doors lead to dry places. Sometimes even doors that God opens up and we go, oh, this is awesome, we end up in a dry, disappointing place. I remember years ago when I was given the opportunity to work for our denomination and they hired me to manage a department called Multicultural Ministries. The department was supposed to help the denomination make room for minority leaders, minority pastors, non-white pastors like myself and others, African American, Native American, Hispanic, Latino, Chinese, all these, all these. <laughs> and in my youthful idealism, I came in there going, yeah, man, we're going to change this thing. Yeah, we're going to get this thing more diverse. Right. And after two years, I was thinking, man, it ain't working. It's not working. The open door, after a year or two, began to feel like a very dry place. And I began to feel like, man, I'm stuck here. I don't know what to do. Everything I tried to do doesn't seem to be working. And guess what? That open door eventually led me to plant the church in, in Carson. And I thought, awesome, open door, this is better. God is opening it up for us to plant a church. So we planted that church called Lifestream South Bay in Carson. And then about two or three years into that merge, uh, a couple of years, we moved to Harbor City, which is where our second campus is over here. And some of you don't know this story, but let me tell you, I was so idealistic about that. We had about 150 people in that church plant. 
And I was thinking, man, we're going to do this. We're going to move all those people over to Harbor City where we had to merge with a congregation that already existed there, about 30, 40 people. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be fun. It's going to be great. Two weeks into the merge, it felt so dead. Like people, like you could try, you, you could like try to pump them up with, come on, praise the Lord. And people just were like sad. I'm like, what's going on here? Like, this was great. And then, and then families started leaving. And I went, oh, no. Oh, how, what can I do to get you to stay, you know? I didn't understand this. The open door of opportunity to plant a church felt like a dry place eventually. Watch this. So... When open doors feel like dry places, this is what happens to these folks. It says, these folks cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. It says, he led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men, for he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Folks, even when open doors lead to dry places, don't lose hope in the Lord's intervention. Don't lose hope in the fact that God is going to bring something good out of it. He will, eventually. <laughs> all right, so there's another situation. He says, all right, and then there was another group of folks in a very disappointing circumstance. These folks were depressed, and they were depressed and in bondage. It says, some sat in the darkest. This is verse uh, 10. Oops, sorry. I hit it twice, my bad. It says, some sat in darkness in the deepest gloom, prisoners suffering in iron chains. Why were they suffering iron chains? For they had rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. So he subjected them, subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled and there was no one to help. Have you ever been a prisoner in chains feeling bound or attached to something that was unhealthy because of your dumb choices? And everybody said, Amen. <laughs> Sometimes it's not the devil's fault, folks. Sometimes it's your fault that you're in the situation you're in. It's sin and it's also foolishness. And so he's saying these folks made bad decisions that they probably regret and it's led them to places of bondage. Watch the promise. He says, when you find yourself in that situation, if you cry out to the Lord, it says, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he what he saved them he brought them out of their darkness and deepest gloom and broke away their chains let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men and women and children for he breaks down the gates of bronze and cuts through the bars of iron the Lord's promise if you're in a place that you made a dumb decision and you are stuck in a cycle of bondage because of it the Lord's promise to you is if you cry out to him, he will rescue you, he will deliver you, he will renew your hope. Come on. Love it. And I love this because the amazing thing about God is like he, he, he doesn't leave us to wallow in the consequences of our actions if we will cry out to him. He's a good father, man. 
How many of you, you know, you, you parented your son or your daughter, right? And you knew that they had to learn the lesson the hard way, so you had to let them experience the consequences. You remember those times, parents in the room? How painful was it, right, to watch them experience the consequences of their actions? But how many of you know, like, when they got the lesson, as a good father, as a good mother, what'd you do? All right, come on, let me relieve some of this pain. And, and you knew, didn't you? You knew exactly how much, okay, I got it. He's, he's learned it. There's no need to prolong this. They're crying out for help. All right, I'm here. Our Heavenly Father is a good father just like that. We, we'll suffer the consequences of our dumb decisions and poor choices. But when we cry out to God, when we realize, man, he comes and rescues us. <laughs> even, even if we think we've hit rock bottom, but we haven't, God will still come and rescue us. He's that good. I don't get that because sometimes, I've, I've worked with parents over the years that thought their kid was done with drugs because they cried out for help, because they got put in prison, because they finally got arrested, you know? And it wasn't rock bottom for them. But but mom and dad came to the rescue. Would you just leave them sitting in the, that cell? It's a hard call, isn't it? And it's really not mine to make, is it? But there's something of God's good father heart that when we cry out to him, even though he might know we haven't hit rock bottom yet and we're not really that serious yet, he comes to the rescue. Remember that, young people, next time you guys think you hit rock bottom. You're... Your heavenly father is a good father. So, um, I think some of our problems revolve around the fact that when we, uh, when we realize that we're paying the consequences for our actions, some of us like to beat ourselves up. Some of us beat ourselves up way too much. And we internalize. It's kind of like the shift between, okay, I failed... Because of my dumb decision, I failed, but there's a jump that we make from I failed to I'm a failure. And that, that folks, is, is moving from guilt to shame. When we let shame in, shame creates this crazy cycle that causes us to repeat the failure. When you move from I failed to I'm a failure, you get stuck in a cycle. And shame almost shackles you to repeat that failure. God wants to come and break the shackles of shame. So you gotta, you gotta start agreeing with how God sees you rather than how you see yourself sometimes, right? Like, you know, my kid, um, my son, the other day, he was, we were playing tennis, and uh, this is like, tennis is like a sport that the goodness of God, he's given us to process life together with me, me and my kids and to enjoy life together. But my kid, my son, my oldest son is starting to, uh, to get really good at it. So the other day we were playing, right? And, you know, I, as a dad, you know, I'm competitive, so like, you know, yeah, I want to, I used to, when I used to play with them when they were kids, I used to let them win, you know, boost their confidence. Okay, I'll let you win. Well, this time my son was getting real good, so I'm like, okay, I'm going I'm to turn it on. Gonna win me, man. You know, just remind you of who I am. You know, so we were playing, right? And I could tell I was winning. <laughs> and I could, I could see in his body language, he was just like, "This sucks." You know, 
Like he wasn't even trying anymore. You know, he would hit a serve like, you know, like that. And I noticed this shift. And so I, I was like, okay, time out. So I come over here, bro. Come here, dude, you know. I said to him, hey, I go, what are you thinking right now in your mind? What are you telling yourself, kiddo? He's like, ah, I don't know. Like, this sucks, you know, whatever. I'm like, you need to stop telling yourself that. I go, I want you to say this after me. I say, I say repeat after me. This is on the tennis court, right? Like, right at the net. I go, repeat after me. I love this game. Oh, this game. <laughs> I'm good at this. Yeah, I got it, Dad. I got it. No, no. Say it. I love this game. I'm good at this, and I'm going to get better. Tell yourself. I love this game. I'm good at this. Get better. I go, come on, let's play. Let's finish it. Don't quit on me. He beat me. He beat me. And I actually tried. I wasn't like trying to give it to him. When you are stuck in that moment where you failed and you know you've made a bad decision, you, you know. I don't need to tell you what your sins are, folks. You know what they are. Holy Spirit can do that more effectively than I can. When you're stuck between, here's what I've done, I've failed, and I'm a failure, you need to start telling yourself. If you're a child of God, you need to remind yourself you're a child of God. I'm a child of God. I love how God uses stuff to teach me lessons in life that I need to learn. And I'm going to get better at this by his help. You need to stop beating yourself up and going right back to that failure two weeks later. You see what I mean? Break that cycle. God is there to free you. All right, let me move on. Here's another one. This is, this is where I got stuck last week. But I've got an answer this week, all right? <laughs> in this next passage, in the next verse, it says, some became fools through their rebellious ways and they suffered. Now, he's talking about physical suffering here. He suffered affliction in their bodies because of their iniquities, because of their sins. And they loathed all food. Okay, this is the physical ramification of their suffering. They didn't want to eat. They lost their appetite and they drew near the, this is physically, they drew near the gates of death. Okay, so here, they, these were, you know, folks that had sinned against God and it led to some, like, physical disease. Maybe you could argue here even um, emotional, like suicidal depression. They drew near the gates of death. But watch. Somewhere in the middle of all of that darkness, it says, they called on the Lord. I'm sorry, I don't have this up. But verse 19, they cried to the Lord in the midst of their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. What did he do? You know this verse, some of you. He sent forth his word and healed them. And he rescued them from the grave. He's a good, good God. For some of you today, I'm going to just say this out loud, out loud. You've been crying out to the Lord for healing. No matter how you got sick, whether it was a result of your own dumb decisions or whether it was just brokenness in a sinful world, however it happened, the Lord's promise is to send forth his word and bring healing to your life. Right? 
So this is where I got stuck. I started giving this illustration. Did you know there's a king in the Bible named Hezekiah? No, it's not a book in the Bible. It's a king in the Bible. And King Hezekiah was in his older years, his later years, and it says that a prophet came to him, I think it was Isaiah, and the prophet said to him, the Lord says, King Hezekiah, you're going to die. This sickness that you have right now is going to result in your death. Hezekiah was so like distraught over that, he went into the presence of the Lord, into the temple, and he cried out to God, and he pleaded with God for more life. And the prophet came back and said, God has heard your prayer, Hezekiah and he's going to give you 15 more years of life. God is a good God. He'll grant you life if you ask him. All right. Let me just do this last one, and I'll come right back to this. It says here um, in verse 23, it says, Others went out on the sea in ships, and they were merchants on the mighty waters. In other words, if you're a merchant and you, you're out on the high seas, the reason you're on the high seas is because you're going someplace where you want to make money. You're, going to, you're pursuing a dream to become financially successful. That's what merchants do. They get on these dangerous waters to go to a city, to a port, where they can sell their goods and make and be successful. That's what this is. Okay, so they're, they're pursuing the dream. And it says they were, that they saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful work, deeds in the deep, for he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. In other words, they ran into a hurricane, a storm, a typhoon, and all of a sudden, <laughs> they mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. That's like seasickness. Up to the heavens, down to the depths, ongoing, and they began to reel and stagger like junk, drunken men. They were at their wits' end. They were scared, spitless. Life's hard reality here is that sometimes the pursuit of your biggest dreams seem to land you nowhere. In the, in the life of these merchants, they were about to die on the open ocean. And it says that then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper and the waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm and he guided them to their desired haven. It didn't say that he made them financially wealthy. It didn't say that their business succeeded. It said that when they were in danger, the Lord, watch this, the Lord quieted the storm and he guided them to safety. And the conclusion of the song, there's more here to the song, but in the very last verse it says, whoever is wise, let him heed these things. And consider the great love of the Lord. All right. So here I am. I've set all this up. I've read a bunch of verses that basically have shown you that when you cry out to the Lord in your disappointing circumstances, He will hear you and He will deliver you and He will show up and come through for you. So here's the big question. What if He does not? What if he does not? Here's what I want to give you today. When God doesn't show up, <laughs> in my life, God didn't, it seemed like God didn't show up when we prayed for RNL. It seemed like, you know, as a pastor, when I 
helped couples, some couples in our church, try to deal with miscarriages and we can't have a baby in those situations, it didn't seem like God showed up. When um, you see senseless things like Las Vegas happen, and you go, what's going on? Let me give you three things that we need to do, right? I, I don't even have these written. This is like fresh bread this morning. This came to me this morning. The first thing is, say this with me, lament. 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 You know what lament is? Lament is to give voice, give expression to the sadness and the pain. This is all over the Bible. We, we had a whole sermon that Pastor Ken taught on this. It was awesome, right? Disappointment will hit you like grief at times. And you need to learn how to bring your soul, watch this, not in front of the TV to numb the pain. And not to that addiction to escape reality. We need to bring our souls into the presence of God and begin to cry out to God in sadness and pour out our hearts before him how painful this is. Yeah, this is what Vegas, this is what we should, we should be doing. And I know it felt kind of weird today because we were singing all these wonderful songs of joy, but I don't know if you felt it, but Pastor Ken was praying today and we gave ourselves space to finally just let our emotions out over Vegas and let our emotions out over what the sadness of what we've lost in our own lives. You see, we have to do that. That's a part. And when you do that in the right way, in the presence of God, that's the key. I'm bringing this to God. He can handle it. Lord, I'm disappointed at you. Now, here's, here's the condition, all right? You don't get to come into the presence of God, dump your junk, and then leave. Be still. Stay there. And know that I am God. I come into the presence of God. I dump my junk. God, I'm so disappointed. Why didn't you come through in the way I thought you were going to come through? We did this. We fasted. We prayed. I'm complaining before you, but I'm not going to leave your presence. I'm going to stay here until you, you respond. That you, you do something. You, you show me something of your goodness, of your glory. You reassure me that you're in control of this life. Most of us, we come in and we just like, God, I hate you, and, mm, and then we leave. And you didn't even give him a chance to respond. You didn't even give him a chance to change your heart, to help you see it differently. You see what I mean? And when we do that, the seeds of unbelief begin to grow in us. Come on now. So that's what we do. We lament in the presence of God. The second thing we do, so say lament. Second thing we do is repent. <laughs> you know why? Because often, just like what happened with me, when the seeds of unbelief start to grow in us, we open the doors to the enemy to start building a case in our heart against God where we start to, act, we start to stop doing what we know we should be doing, praying for the sick, partnering our faith with God's miraculous power to heal. Like this past week, God awakened me to this growing in my heart because someone called and said, Pastor, so-and-so, is uh, his, her, his dad, her dad is in the hospital 
and he's, he's suffering of this, and they would really need, you know, prayer. And, and the first, I'm being real vulnerable with you, okay? The first thing that came to my heart was, I don't really want to pray for sickness to be healed because I've been way too disappointed by God not showing up. That was the first thing that came in my head. I didn't really, like, wasn't aware of it, but I didn't want to go visit because I knew going to visit would mean I would have to pray. And so uh, I said, this is really bad, so I'm, I'm giving you a negative example. I said uh, in my head, what I began to feel was, you know, Lord, I would be better, of better use to you if this person were to just, you know, once we found out that they were really, really near the end, I could go in and comfort the family. That's what I do best. I comfort them. Let me, let me just be with you. That's easier for me. Rather than to go in there <laughs> and pray that this God would raise this guy up. I was really struggling, man. Can I, be, can I be frank with you? I didn't realize. The Lord showed me. Son, what is that? There's unbelief in your heart and you need to repent. So I repented. <laughs> I, I said, God, I didn't know this was happening in me. But now that I see it, I repent. Watch this. I break my agreement with the spirit of unbelief. I break my agreement with the spirit of disappointment and disillusionment. And I stop building a case in my heart against you, God. I'm not going to accuse you anymore. I repent. And I shut the door. Boom. Shut it. I refuse to listen to the lies of the enemy that question your goodness. That's so why I started repenting. And then the next day, I'm driving in my car, and I get a text. And it's a gal from our church who had no idea that somebody had called me to go visit this gentleman. She, her text said, Pastor, so-and-so, this, this dude in the hospital, is in the hospital, and I think, we, I think you need to go visit him. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no, you know? Then as I was driving, I, I decided, I sensed the Lord saying, you need to go. So I went. And this is the awesome part, man. I walked in there. The gentleman was in his bed, and, you know, they, they have this thing called a, a BiPAP. Some of you nurses know what that is, right? Not, he wasn't intubated yet, but he had BiPAP on his face, helping him breathe. And uh, I thought, you know, I thought he's unresponsive. He's not going to know what we're doing, you know, so... After a conversation with the family, I came to the bedside. I said, let's pray. And, you know, I, I, I told all the other family members, I said, it's good, you know, just get out of here because I'm not sure what level of faith you've got right now. <laughs> I want to just, I want there to be faith in the room. Do you believe he can be healed? Do you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we get around his bed and I don't know what to expect. And I just, I just felt like I needed to ask him. So I, I, I said to him, I called his name. I said, hey, so-and-so. I said, um, we're going to ask God to give you more life. Would you like that? He opened his eyes. I don't even know this guy. He opened his eyes. He goes, yeah, and he started talking. I want more life. I want more life. He had all this faith, man. I don't want to die yet. Okay, okay, we're going to agree. We're going to pray. We prayed, we prayed, we prayed. The more, I don't know what's going to happen, but I got a report this morning that he's no longer on BiPAP. 
Crazy, huh? Crazy. Well, the lesson is not that God might be healing this guy. The lesson is God showed me that there was hidden unbelief growing underneath the surface of my soul that I had to lament the disappointment in God. Then I needed to repent, shut the door to unbelief, let my soul begin to be restored in the goodness of God. He is good, he is good, he is good. Oh, oh, oh. And then the last thing, so say, say it with me, lament, Amen. repent, Amen. lastly, write it down, cement. Cement. <laughs> cement your faith back to his goodness. Cement your hope back to his promises. Come on. So, <laughs> glue it, attach it, fix it. Restore that faith in God's promises. Let me tell you why you can do that. Because listen, even if you prayed for that person to get well and they got well, folks, I got news for you. They're going to die again eventually. We're all good-headed that way. But I don't know if you're reading the same Bible I'm reading. But my Bible says that death for the Christian isn't really the way that death for... that. The world experiences death. Death for the Christian is a doorway into the renewal of all things. That at the end, God has the final word. He's God alone. From before time began, he's on his throne. And from that throne, he is going to appoint a time when there is the consummation of the renewal of all of creation. You know how we know? Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. And what happened in Jesus in resurrection is a small glimpse of what God is going to do for all of creation, including all of those who claim to follow him. That means every disappointment in your life that you've experienced, every grief and every loss that you've experienced in life, everything you've lost in the fires of this fallen world will be restored. Come on. That's the hope that is the anchor for our soul that is in Jesus. It's not just that Jesus died for our sins. It's that Jesus rose as a foretaste of a new world that is coming and that is already among us. It's called the kingdom of God. Your heart was made for this. And as much as the world breaks our hearts with all the disappointing situations, you can anchor your soul. You can cement your hope to the coming new world that has already been inaugurated, that has already begun in Jesus. So lament. Repent. And re-cement your hope and faith to his promises. Because it is, all the healing we experience this side of heaven, all the good stuff that comes, it's just a, say, foretaste. It's a foretaste. It's a, um, it's a preview trailer for the, for the production that's to come, for the blockbuster hit that's about to hit theaters near you called the kingdom of God. It's a preview trailer. So you may be disappointed, but ultimately, folks, ultimately, God's love will never disappoint us. Amen?
I am done. Stand to your feet. I got something for you today. Some of you have let your disappointments define your life for way too long. Some of you have taken the grief of situations in your life and losses, and you've held on to it for way too long. There's a, there's a time, you know, you've got to grieve it well. You've got to bring it back up, and you've got to, you know, not deny that it's there. And I sense that maybe the Lord might be re- allowing some of you to revisit some past disappointments. Disappointments with people, but ultimately disappointments with Him. If you cut yourself off through unbelief in the Lord, then you won't be able to receive the hope that he has made all things new and he's making all things new in Christ. You see, so you got you to repent. So I'm going to encourage some of you today where that, those seeds of unbelief are growing to just say to the Lord, Lord, I, I repent of unbelief and I open, I re-cement my faith to your goodness today. I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand it. But Lord, and then you, God might show you that there's still some th- stuff you need to lament over. You need to voice your heart's cry and complaint and bitterness so that, so that he can take you in those moments and begin to heal your heart and give you hope. You know, there's a verse in Romans 5 that it says, hope will not, say hope, will not disappoint. For God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So if you're here this morning and you have become aware of disappointments, unprocessed grief, unbelief in your heart because God didn't show up the way that you expected him to, I want you to put your hands out like you want to receive a gift right now. And I want you to receive the Holy Spirit. God has poured out His love in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. That's why we can have hope. Holy Spirit, I don't have all the answers to the specific disappointments that my brothers and sisters in this room have experienced. Some of them have endured such deeply tragic and heartbreaking losses. But Lord, we're here before you in your presence today, willing to lament, choosing to repent of our unbelief. We say, Father, you are good, like we're not going to accuse you anymore. We choose, Lord, to shut that door in our hearts that is opened to disillusionment and unbelief. And, And we don't get it, we don't fully understand, but we ask for your peace today. And I pray, Holy Spirit, That you come and bring the the kingdom of God, which is righteousness, peace, and joy. And along with it, Lord, the hope that does not disappoint. Bring that now into our hearts. We receive a renewed hope in you. A hope that cannot fade. A hope that cannot be ultimately defeated or disappointed the hope of all things new the hope Lord of heaven come to earth the hope of the kingdom of God consummated in the fullness of your reign the hope that we get to taste of as a foretaste here and now bring the hope Lord 
and bring the foretaste today. I pray it in the name of Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you for listening to audio from New Life Foursquare, located in Harbor City and Norwalk, California. Feel free to make copies of this audio to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or change the content in any way without permission. For more information, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org.